Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Frank. It's good having you here. So we're glad that you're here. Appreciate Murray. And if you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 3? John chapter 3. And it's the story of Nicodemus as he dialogues with Jesus. Jesus was very good with crowds, and he spoke a lot with crowds. But John has him when he speaks one-to-one with people. And those uh, personal times that he had with the Lord, he looked forward to sharing those stories that Jesus told him. And so John has a lot of incidents that the first three Gospels do not have. Uh, there was a uh, lady and guy who were married, and um, she had this cat, and, and this cat was her favorite cat, and she would uh, hug that cat and just, you know, really go over the cat and really take all this time with the cat, and she didn't spend that with her husband, and so uh, they would put the cat on the couch, and he would sit there in his blue suit and get cat hairs all over his blue suit. And uh, so he was kind of irritated with that cat. So when she went to see her mother, he took the cat and baptized that cat permanently. And when she came back, she couldn't find her cat. So she was worried about that cat everywhere. And so he posted a reward, $10,000 for anybody who would give us information about the cat. And so uh, she just hugged him now, and he didn't get cat hairs on his suit or anything like that. But she was so appreciative. She says, man, I mean, you would post $10,000 for that, for, to find that cat. And he said this, when you know what you know, you'll do what you do. <laughs> now, that's a heavy principle there. I wish that could happen in the church. I wish it could. And I wish it could happen in people's lives. Because it's amazing how much we know and how little we do with what we know we ought to be doing. And John tells us about times. He presses that point. The key word in, in John's writings is believe, and it's the Greek word pistuo. But it's more about not just believe in your head. It's about put it out in your life and put it out in your commitment. Now, Paul and uh, Paul Hull and Joe Sexton and I had the privilege of playing, playing basketball with Coach Speed as our coach, and he would always run us at the end of practice and run up and down, and he'd whistle, and you had to turn around and go the other way, and he'd run us till we couldn't stand up, and then he'd get us together and then dismiss us, and there were those that just go to the shower, but there were some that stayed after practice. And that impressed him with those who stayed after practice. John was one of those people that stayed after practice. When everybody else had gone to bed and the fire was kind of still working there and it was just John and Jesus and they sat there and talked about deep things, about the Christian life and what it meant and what had happened to this person or that person and how he handled it. And so John kind of shared these. He wrote uh, not only Gospel John, he wrote 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. And he tells us about being committed to the Lord and, 
what true belief looks like because there's a lot of false belief. So he wants to encourage you and me to have true belief in our lives. And he writes in that. John uh, came out of a fishing business and, and he enjoyed being in that fishing business, but it was something deeper in his life that he was looking for. His brother James and John were called by Jesus to be the first disciples. And then James later on became the first disciple to be martyred. But John is the last apostle. He's 90 years old. And that's getting on up there. Amen? 90 years old, you're getting on up there. Do you know anybody that's 90 years old? Would you raise your hand? Do you know anybody that feels like they're 90 years old? Uh, we're having this dome of high pressure coming in, and next week is going to be um, hotter than any week we've had, says the weatherman. So a trip to Iceland sounds like a good option, amen? Better than the beach. Don't go to the beach, go to Iceland. It's much cooler up there, and the fish are better, by the way, up there in Iceland. But John is saving things for another generation. He's, no other apostles are left. And so he, he saves these stories as he writes about times with Jesus when nobody else writes about these stories. And here's one he talks about, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a man who's having problems with um, trust issues. And we're living in a world that we're having problems with trust issues. Who do you trust? I have some people call me on the phone. You do too. And they call me Jawi. <laughs> and they say, trust us, just send us $1,500 and you'll get 3000 back. And I appreciate it, but I really don't trust them. And they said, just trust me. But how many trust issues have we had that were kind of hurts from the past that kind of stayed there? And they were kind of hard to deal with. Now, here's a, here's a man that Jesus is talking to who has a trust issue. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I have a draw with Jesus, and he draws me. But I'm struggling with this. So he comes to Jesus by night. But in these words in chapter 3, we're told about what is salvation, and salvation is an important point. It's salvation what you believe, and that's important that we have the right kind of belief. It's salvation doing good works, and we ought to be doing good works. And that's kind of moral, working your way into heaven. And the Muslims believe that you become a Muslim, and if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you will go to Muslim heaven. And there's this place that they say. And so it's a kind of moralism where you do good works, well, good works get to in heaven. Or maybe it's a feeling, and that's important to have a feeling. Uh, Baptists are really scared of our feelings. But when I preached in the church of God, they wasn't scared about their feelings. They freely expressed their feelings. And they would say, help him, Jesus, help him, Jesus, as I preached. They got into it. But feelings can come kind of mislead, mislead you. And if you have your Bibles, let's look at three kind of musts that are there for salvation. So in honor of God's word, 
Would you stand? And let me give you these three musts, and we'll skip some, some verses and then get to them. The first one is verse 3. Here's the first must. Jesus answered and said unto him, that is Nicodemus, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he is never able to see the kingdom of God. So you're born once, you die twice, you're born twice, you die once. Let me just leave that out there, okay? Now here's another must if you have your Bibles, verse 7. So you must be born again. You cannot get to heaven the way you are. You've got to be born again. And uh, this is verse 7, or excuse me, verse 5. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it wills, and thou hearest the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said, or how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Are you the teacher of Israel? Know not these things. Verily I say unto you, We speak that which we do not know, and testify for that which we have seen, and you receive it not. Verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So there's a must of the sinner, there's a must of the Savior, and the Savior's got to pay that price. And unless he pays that price for mine and your sins, we have to pay the price in our own way, and we can never pay the price. So there's a third must. In my Bible, I have to turn the page. Verse 30, here's a must of the servant. He must increase. And I must decrease. And if Christ increases in my life, there's a selfishness that decreases, and I become the disciple that God wants me to be. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated and turn back. I'd turn back in my page to verse 23 of chapter 2. His time with Nicodemus is a time that starts with verse 23. Verse 23 leads into it. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, uh, he is very popular the first time he goes. And they will say, hail him, hail him. But when he comes back about the third or fourth time, they're going to say, nail him, nail him. And popularity is one of these fleeting kind of things. And so he does some miracles there, and they are signs. But as he does those miracles, as they are signs, there are people that believed in him. But it's a surface kind of belief. The word there, believe, means to trust. So they are trusting in him, but they are not sure about how they can trust him. And they watched him, and they saw the signs that were there. And Jesus saw the signs. One of the ones who saw the signs was uh, Nicodemus, and he came to to figure out these signs that were happening. But the signs that were there, um, popularity is kind of a fleeting thing. It kind of comes and it kind of goes. Um, this uh, 
last week I went to see the went to a movie and I had a choice between seeing Barbie or Indiana Jones. Now that was a tough decision because I want to get into my feminine side and see Barbie. I need to work on my feminine side. Sometimes it comes and sometimes it goes. But I like action-packed movies, so I went to see Indiana Jones rather than Barbie. But Barbie's, they're really putting a lot of emphasis on Barbie these days. And Mattel is an equipment company, a toys manufacturer. But, but there will be a day, one of these days, that people won't even remember who Barbie is. Because popularity has a way of fleeting, and it goes away. Um, I asked my son, uh, my grandson, uh, who is John Wayne? They have no idea who John Wayne is. But when I was growing up, I wanted to be like John Wayne, because he said, mount up, and 5,000 people got on their horses and rode out. A man's got to do what a man's got to do. That's what John Wayne said. But John Wayne has come, and he has gone. And the signs stop. We need something more stable than popularity. You have your Bibles in verse 23 of chapter 2. Now he was in Jerusalem at the Passover because Jesus celebrated that Passover and the feast day. And many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. The word there for miracles is a word also it means signs. But Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew, he knew what was inside. He had this omnipotence that's able to see inside. And he sees inside of us. And there's a person who we are on the outside, but then there's this person that we are on the inside. And so Jesus saw that person on the inside. And he needed not that any should testify him, for he knew what was in me. He knows what's in me. He knows what's in you. And he knows our hearts. I had a couple one time that came to see me, and they asked for time together. He was the one that asked for time together. And as they sat in my office, uh, all of a sudden he began to pour out an affair that he was having. And it was like somebody had taken a cesspool and just poured it in my office. The sordid things that he was doing and he had done. And I watched the look on her face as she had no idea all this was going on. So when he left, I asked him to leave and I talked to her. And I said, now you got two choices. You can either stay with him or biblically, you can say this is over because he's destroyed that trust and that commitment that is so essential for a marriage. And she pondered those things. She took a week off and went down to the beach and just kind of sorted, what do I want to do next? What's my next move? Am I going to forgive him or am I going to just call it quit? How could I ever trust him again after what he has done? What bothered her so much was the signs. All these signs were going on, but she didn't know them. She didn't see them, and, and they went past her, and she didn't know that they were happening. 
And it struggled within her that this all could be going on and she could miss the whole signs that there were. So she came back and after praying about that, she really decided that God wanted her to go back into her marriage. And so she did. She went back into her marriage and she asked God to help her forgive him. For her children more than anything, she wanted their children to be with their mother and father. And Susan and I ran into her not long ago at Publix, um, and we asked her how things were going, and I asked her, how's your, you and your husband doing? And she said, he's going back to his old life. And she could see the signs this time. She missed the signs before, but she could see them now. Jesus is here seeing the signs. And he sees the signs of that which is real and that which is not real. He knows those signs and he sees it coming. Nicodemus had seen the signs. It tells us in verse 1, if you have your Bibles, there was a man of the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees were, and he was on the ruling body, which was the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin had 70 members and they were all Sadducees. But he and Joseph of Arimathea were the only Pharisees in the group. So Nicodemus had, had made it to the top in a world that would really put him down because the Sadducees didn't think much of the Pharisees. But he had worked hard and, and had right answers and he'd lived the kind of life that was so impressive and he had made it to the top and he had gotten there even among those who were kind of against him. But he didn't trust him. So he has these trust issues. Same came to Jesus by night. And when they came to Jesus by night, it was a time that he could be alone with Jesus. It was a time that nobody else would see him. And they were in this place that maybe the up, an upper room in a house where Nicodemus and Jesus met. But John always has this kind of mark that he puts in there. And he said, it's night. And what he means by that, not only is it time that he had with Jesus, not only was it time that he could spend with Jesus, but also it was night inside this man's soul. And as well as he knew much about salvation, as much as he knew the Old Testament, as he knew all of that, and yet there was still night inside of his soul. So maybe Jesus has the answer. And so he says to him, we know that nobody could do these miracles or these signs except they be from God. Now, Jesus is not a good man who came from God. He is a good God who came to man. And Nicodemus has got to get through that issue. And you and I have to get through that issue. And I know a lot of kind of people who instruct us in high academic places that see Jesus as a good man who came to God but the Bible says that he is a good God who came to man. Amen? Now, if I was in the church of God, they'd be jumping through the pews right now. So, uh, y'all hold it down, okay? We're going to. So, Nicodemus gives him a compliment. And the compliment is, you must be from God sent you here. Because nobody could do what you're doing without there being from God. 
But Jesus comes right to the point because you see the Jews believe if you're born a Jew and do good, then you will go to heaven. So he tells him, barely, barely. I mean, truly, truly. I mean, don't miss this point, Nicodemus. Except a person is born anatheon. You ready for that? That's your Greek word for today. And the word anatheon can mean again, or it can also mean born from above. And I think it's got both those meanings there. Born again, but born from above. You cannot get to heaven just with your physical birth only. Nothing earthly can bring us to heaven. We have to have heaven come down to us. Except you're born again. You cannot receive the kingdom of God. This week we had our uh, grandsons come see us and our son, and they went fishing, which I'm glad they did. They caught some fish. But as Susan and I was sitting around that night before we put them to bed that, that night, by the way, they came there eating, and they left eating. Amen. That's, we had four boys in, in our house, and they ate us out of house and home. I don't think we got anything left but maybe some turnip greens. They didn't eat any turnip greens. But we asked them, when was the point that you asked Jesus into your heart? And I don't know how many times that I have been at a funeral home and we sat around the table and I asked children or the children that were there, when was the time that you invited Christ into your life. And we went around that room and they told us about times when they invited Christ in their life. When was the time for you that you invited Christ into your life? You must be born again. How can a man, when he is old, enter into a second time into his mother's womb? He uh, interprets that as being kind of a um, physical birth and says, you can't, how can you do that? And Jesus said, no, you're missing the point. You've got to be born of water and the Spirit. And the word water means it is cleanse us on the inside so that the Holy Spirit can occupy our soul. It's a two-point time when you ask for forgiveness. The, Holy, the water cleanses us. And the Spirit comes to live inside of us. And that's scary thing to Baptists because we don't like, we, don't, we struggle with the Spirit. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say again, you must be born again. The wind blows where it will. And we've got this uh, high dome that's coming in. And it's going to make life even hotter in this coming week. So um, make sure your air conditioner is working. Make sure whatever you got to do is to stay cool. But you can't control that hot air coming in. Uh, when uh, Sally came through uh, last year, or maybe two years ago, when Sally came through, we, did, we couldn't control Sally, but it came through. And Susan and I stayed awake for a while watch, listening to that wind as it blew through his salad. The next day, we had trees on top of our house. And uh, the insurance and I, company and I got to work on that. 
and got those trees, and some people came around to help us get those trees off. We can't control the wind. We can try. But we can see its results. You can't control the Holy Spirit. But you can see his results in your life. You can no longer be the same person. God works on your heart to be a person that he's created to make a difference. You can see Jesus working on Nicodemus. Nicodemus is coming so far, but then he kind of halts. Jesus even returns him back to uh, Numbers, which is Numbers 21. He said, you remember what happened in Numbers 21 when all those Baptists were complaining? It doesn't say Baptists, but I believe they were Baptists, at least among them. They're probably Methodists nowadays. They're complaining. And you know what God did? He sent snakes to bite them. So watch out when you complain in church, okay? Sent snakes to bite them. And so what God told Moses to put the serpent on the pole. And when you were bitten, and they were, they were called fiery serpents, not just serpents. They were fiery serpents. And he said, you look up at that pole, and it says, lift it up. There's your salvation. so much but Nicodemus holds back he's dealing with trust issues and trust issues run deep inside of our soul if we would move past that and reach out for what God is trying to give us but so often we hold back when we ought to be going forward. I had a call one day at, on Saturday at about uh, 12.30, and it was a guy that I think the world of, and he called me and said he was um, in his boat fishing. And so I said, um, but we have a wedding at 2 o'clock, and it was his wedding. And he said, well, I'm in my boat, and I'm going fishing. So I said, oh, what do you want to do about the wedding and the bride-to-be? And he said, would you call her for me? <laughs> you know, I feel like you give that off to your worst enemy and make those kind of deals. Um, so I said, you know, what's the problem? He said, I don't know. I just don't feel good about this. So um, would, you, would you call me for me? So I called her, and she was at her bridesmaid's luncheon. And um, I called her name, and I said, uh, I started to say, you think you're going to get married today? <laughs> you're not. <laughs> but how do you do that? I said, well, I just talked so-and-so and he wants to call the wedding off 
And I, you know, she was such a fine girl. She was a beautiful girl, and she's beautiful on the outside and beautiful on the inside. She's a Christian girl, and she loved him with all of her heart, and she could even cook. Now, it's hard to bring all those together. You know, it's important to cook. Amen? You got to have all those and have it cooked. But he pulls back. And the problem wasn't so much with her. The problem was with him. There were some trust issues in his life, and those trust issues had not turned out the way that he had wanted them to turn and they left this kind of hurt inside of his heart. When you have pain in your heart, it hurts deeply. And those things just don't go away easily. And out of that, he had this commitment, what psychologists call commitment phobia. And uh, I'm not sure I won't be committed. I might get hurt like I did sometimes before. And he backed away when he should have gone forward. I think they could have had a great relationship. And she could have helped him because she had this, had life together in a lot of ways. But he pulled away from that, which again could have been such a great blessing to him. Why is it we get almost there, almost at the place where God is kind of working on our heart and I've seen people grip the pew and they know they need to come forward and, and they need to make that decision for Christ. But instead of going forward, they pull back. There's this decision that needs to be made. There's part of their life that needs to be given up. There's some plans that God has for them. But instead of going forward, they back away. And this is what Nicodemus is doing. He is backing away. Oh, what he could have been. Later on in chapter 19, it takes him a while before finally he steps out and he claims the body of Christ and he makes his commitment public in chapter 19 when he and Joseph of Arimathea ask for the body of Christ. But it takes all this time. In the meantime, the Lord's kind of pulling on his heart, but he keeps backing away. I remember doing a, a funeral in an old southern home and and outside was the family cemetery. And as the family cemetery was there, they told me about uh, their great-great-grandfather who joined the Confederacy uh, when he was like 13 or 14 years old. And he was too young to fight. So they made him a bugler. And he would blow the trumpet, blow the bugle for them to make their whatever their advance or pullback, whatever it was. And he was wounded in, a, in one of the battles. And... So he was under opium, and so the general said, uh, blow retreat. And instead of blowing retreat, he blew charge, and they, they won the battle. They needed to go forward when they were planning on going backwards. And I think God has something for us when we move forward and reach out to what he has to offer us. And I wonder if you're there today struggling with moving forward or holding back. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Is there a place 
that God is calling you and a place that you need to move forward. And yet there's this trust issue. I'm not sure. And would you ask God to give you that strength? Ask him to give you the wisdom to know what to do. And ask him to give you the strength to do what you need to do. Dear Father, it's our invitation time, and that invitation is reaching out to us. I thank you that Nicodemus came to that place in his life where he needed to step out instead of pulling back. And maybe there's some here today that need to step out instead of holding back. Give them strength and help them to follow your will for their life.